This podcast is brought to you by our funders, Building Better Homes, Towns and Cities and Puranga Kura Māori Research Centre. E te tī, e te tā, nau mai piki mai ki tēnei i pāho ara ko he whare mō wai. We are excited to present this episode, which features Mahira Maihi, the founder of Mate Huruhuru, a kaupapa Māori organisation that provides services and programmes for young people in South Auckland. She will be talking to us about her real-life experiences that led her to start Mate Huruhuru and the work she is now doing supporting rangatahi, in particular those who are experiencing homelessness. Tēnā areare taringa mai. Thank you so much for having us today here at Māte Huruhuru. I'm so excited actually, I've been really looking forward to this kōrero all week um, and actually really keen to just share a bit more about not only just you and the million things that you do, uh, but really excited to hear a bit more about like your housing journey, um, the path that you've taken and actually some of the mahi that you're doing with the young people um, and how you're trying to transform, you know, not only the life that you're wanting to achieve for them, mm-hmm. but how they can, I guess, exercise their own rangatiratanga. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess perhaps we could start, perhaps, where, you know, where you're from and then tell us a bit about Māte Huruhuru. Absolutely. Firstly, I just want to say I'm so excited to be here with you today, Jackie, and thank you very much for this opportunity to have this ui ui nga. Um, ko wai au, ko mahera mai he tōku ingoa, he uri tēnei no ngāpuhi i ngāsi whātua te rāroa hoki, and I'm very fortunate and blessed to be the founder and CEO of Mātu Huruhuru. Mātu Huruhuru is a whānau, and we just happen to be a registered entity. And the reason why we are a whānau is because growing up, that was really what we didn't have a lot of. And um, so wanting to change the future for my children and for um, the many other uh, children out there who needed whānau and a sense of belonging, um, I created Mātu Huruhuru. When I say that we didn't have that whānau when we were growing up, what I mean is that we were disconnected. So uh, as part of the Urban Drift movement, our parents and our grandparents moved to Tāmaki and we were disconnected from Kaikohe, from Otamatea, where we, where we come from. Um, my dad was raised in gangs and so that was our whānau, that was our culture. We saw a lot of family violence, a lot of domestic violence, mum, mum's head being put through the walls, a lot of blood and um, we saw... Police officers and sirens were just such a normal thing for us. It was music. And mm-hmm. I got really desensitized. So I remember a time when dad was beating on mum and my sister was screaming. She's like, mm-hmm. are you going to do anything? Like you're just sitting there playing knuckle bones. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking at my mum and dad and then looked down, back down at the knuckle bones and I said to her, they're just going to get back together tomorrow, mm-hmm. you know? And so that was, it was becoming normal that that was what relationships look like. Mm-hmm. It's not normal. It's absolutely not normal. So. Um, yeah, with all of that lived experience, we were put in care, we were put in many different rehabs, we lived in Odyssey House, we lived in St. De Paul uh, House as well, we were taken to many different whānau, uh, women's refuge many, many times, and um, 
that's just not what I wanted. So mm. all my life I'd been just an overachiever. I'd been, you know, looking for validation mm. and looking for a place to belong. And I was always at school, I was always the straight A student and the teacher's pet and just wanted to do the most always. Um, come back with the certificates to my dad and just be like, Dad, look, um, I, I won this award. And he'd be so happy. And when I saw his smile, that was like just everything to me. And um, that those were transferable. I didn't know at the time, but uh, so that's throughout all of my mahi. I'm just always doing that. Um, Mata Huruhuru, we're a youth organisation. Sorry, got there in the end. We're a youth organisation based in Monaco, um, led by me. We've got eight staff. We run programmes and services to help young people um, to get into work, to help with their mental health. Um, suicide prevention programs. We do a lot of COVID response things as well. And we're very shortly moving into youth housing. Uh, we will be the first ever in the history of Aotearoa youth housing, uh, Kaupapa Māori youth, youth housing project. And so before we talk about the um, kind of, you know, housing component, could you tell us about the kind of vision and the ethos and the ahua of Mātehuru and the kupu mm. in terms of, you know, that being the foundation of the way in which you and your kaimahi work today? Yeah, Mātehuruhuru Karere Te Manu, when I was thinking about the name of what I was going to call my, my entity, um, that really stood out to me. I could just see a bird sitting on a pole and that the bird would slowly start to grow and it'll grow uh, further develop their skills and um, culture and social skills and education and as it started to grow it was able to fly out and it was able to be independent um, it was it was rooted with um, a sense of belonging as I talk about uh, just knowing where they come from and then where they're going to go to so money with the dawn feathers the bird will fly the bird is the, the taitamariki, the young person, and the feathers are all of the social, cultural and educational skills that they need so that they can fly out to be independent members of their, cult, of their whanau, their hapu mm. and their iwi. Um, and that's really how, yeah, that's really the ethos behind it. Yeah, I really love that and I feel like that is such a strong foundation in terms of the way in which you work and the people that you serve. Um, and even the, the icon right, of the feather and the, the colours and the way in which it is embodied. So it's not it's more than just right, a logo, but a part, huge part of the identity of Mata Huru Huru. Um, and probably, yeah, just critical and fundamental to the way in which you work and thinking that way. Um, and you've spoken a bit, bit about like your journey and how many houses do you think you've stayed in so far? We, my dad, as I said, he was in, he was, he didn't have education when he was younger, so he didn't make it past primary school. He didn't know how to stay anywhere for a long time. He was selling drugs, and so sometimes we'd be really rich, and sometimes we'd have the flash house and all the furniture, and then the next day he's lost it all, and now we've got, we've got repo companies coming in and taking away our beds and our couches, and we were back to living on milk crates and bread crates, and, um, so, yeah, we had, I went to about 11 different primary schools just in primary in the space of that period. Wow. And that's because we were in and out of rehabs, we were in and out of um, Woman's Refuge and care. And so, and that was, that's really quite transient. And I wasn't ever able to settle anywhere. It's, it's these stories though we don't hear of every mm. single day around the lived realities of how how severe this housing crisis is not only today but you know for many years mm. and even more so for Māori mm. uh, and I know you've raised this issue around you know 11 primary schools transiency 
but really trying to highlight, you know, how critical a home is for mm. whānau and how that can just, mm. even though it's one part, right, mm. um, and I know you'll speak to the many things, what are some of the key lessons that you've learned so far just from those experiences and why it's so fundamental? How is it so fundamental to the transformation of working with the rangatahi that you are working with today? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, what I've, the biggest thing that I've learned is that a home is where your, a home is where your heart is and a home is where your family are. And even though we didn't have a house um, and sometimes the van was our house, um, our, our parents were there and our siblings were there and love was there. And so mm-hmm. that was, that was home for us. Um, and it wasn't in Manurewa, it wasn't in Kaikohe, it wasn't in Papakura, it wasn't in Otara, it was just wherever my family were. That really was, is the, the pinnacle of Matu Huruhuru, that home is a feeling, home is love, home is what, somewhere where these young people can come to and know that they feel safe and know that we'll always have their back no matter what they're going through and no matter how many times they fall off the wagon, no matter how many other people who have given up on them, they still can always come here. We've got young people who have I've known for over you know eight years who still come back to their home, to the nest of Mati Huruhuru. And that was really the picture that I had in my head was that Mati Huruhuru was a nest. And there were all these birds that were going out, but they can come back any time that they want to. They're not all the same birds. They're not mm-hmm. going to need all the same answer. I don't think that there's one answer you know, for this, but if we can continue just to be patient and understand and, and lead with love and peace mm-hmm. and kindness, um, we, will, we will get there. And healing is a big part of that journey too. So, so what are you seeing now with some, you know, and, you know, given COVID and, you know, the, the compounding pressures, the cost of living, this housing crisis, what are some of the issues that you're seeing in terms of the young people that you're working with? We've seen an increase in homelessness during COVID. We've seen an increase in family violence. We've seen an increase in domestic violence. We've seen young people who were forced to stay in bubbles where the bubbles were toxic for them, where they didn't feel safe for them, where they didn't have school anymore as a form of escape. They had to stay there. Um, we're seeing kids who don't even want to be in their bubbles, so they voluntarily, you know, make themselves homeless because they just don't feel safe being at home, but there's nowhere else to go. We're seeing kids who don't even have homes. So the, you know, that the, um, the motto during that was stay home, save lives. Like some of these kids don't even have a home to stay home too. You know, I just thought that was quite ridiculous. So what we ended up doing was um, buying mattresses and then at Masahuruhuru we were housing these young people. We'd ring Oranga Tamariki, Some, most of them were in care, actually all of them were in care. Um, and Oranga Tamariki just couldn't move quick enough. There was The bureaucracy there is crazy and they wouldn't, they wouldn't move. And so we, we housed, homed these young people for 86 days was the longest that we had a young person in our care. Uh, during the 103-day lockdown period. Yeah. Um, we have seen young people who have, uh, you know, um, they don't have internet. They, the digital divide for young people is also quite mm-hmm. huge and they didn't have access to schooling, um, to devices. So they were just, we saw the, the gap increasing. Mm. And so the care system, it's quite interesting because it's very different to those who aren't in care or and who, you know, those who need to access services. What are some of the differences or challenges particularly for this cohort? We would say the kids in care, actually, they have a lot more resource than young people who do not have 
a social worker, young people who mm. aren't in the system, those young people, they actually do fall through a gap because there's there's nothing there for them. We had a case of a young person who was engaged in our program and was doing really well. Um, she had uh, did a lot of healing work. She'd done our workforce program. She'd got, attained a lot of certificates. The last thing for her was that she needed a house because she was homeless. She was couch surfing across just multiple whare. She was a recovering pee addict. And when we put her into emergency housing, we thought, yes, we're doing a great thing for her. You know, this is the last thing to tick off, just a home for her. We put her back into the hotels and they just, it was like the urban drift movement, right? They just put all of our whanau with all of these complexities into the one space. So she was now living in a, um, a, a complex with other adults who were, on drugs, on pee, they had guns, they they were in gangs, and then she actually started going back to smoking crack. Um, And then her life just was on a downward spiral. She got a um, drug-induced psychosis, she she was in that. She had a gun pointed to her head, she was ringing me in the bathroom saying, can you help me, I'm in the bathroom, I'm all closed up, there's someone knocking on the door with a gun, I owe them money for this crack that I've bought. that's that's a that's an example of a young person who doesn't have any supports, wasn't OT, wasn't yeah in the state. So I'm trying to think about as well as part of some of the research that we have been able to do, um, and, and this idea around intersectionality um, and the differences that has um, for those who are young, who are either Maori or Pacifica, who are either LGBT or transgender. Are you seeing some of those? complexities in terms of the young people that you're working with as well? Yeah, we've got a huge increase in takatapui whānau. Mm. Nearly all of our young people who are girls actually um, identify as um, fluid or Mm. that they are in same-sex relationships or, you know, with boys, with girls. Um, There's a huge increase. It's actually become quite normal, but we don't discriminate that, you know. Like I said, not all of our birds are the same birds. Some of them are kiwi. Kiwis can't fly, but that doesn't not make them a bird. You know, we still do everything that we can for each of these young, each of these young people, ahakoa, you know, no matter who they are. Do you think there's enough support even for their diverse needs? No, 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 no. I, I don't think that there's enough support for them. Um, I actually have considered getting funding for specifically for that cohort. But the more that I thought about that, I thought, well, actually, you know, how much better am I if I'm putting them into a box and if I'm saying, okay, this is specifically just for LGBTQ. Actually, you're just our whānau, you know, no matter how you identify, you're still our whānau. Um, but, yeah, just, you know, that's that's another thing with Māti Huru Huru. We don't um, – we're just innovative. We're, we're courageous. We do things a little bit different, colour outside of the lines, and we're known for that. So what about some of the change that you've been able to see from the person that walks into your door to seek for help, how they go through your programme, work with you, and then, you know, be able to kind of self-determine or their own housing options or wherever they might go? What What are some of those things that you're seeing from that, you know, from right yeah. when they walk through your door. Well, a lot of our young people come in shy, and then I, when I know, when I say shy, I know that it takes us a little while to warm up to people. But these young people actually are quite introverted, and I know this because their schools have told us how quiet and even throughout their schooling years they've been. 
when they leave here, because we invest so much in whānau, because we invest in so much in positive affirmations and lifting them up and empowering them, because we continue to be here and that we've got a trusting relationship with them, they are able to find their confidence. We've got an example of a young person, very shy but wanted to be a rapper. And then we, his favourite rapper we got in, Tyree from Smashproof, Ty was performing his waiata, his song, and he knew that this young person was really into him, so he caught him up stage. Uh, this young person went up, started rapping his lyrics, and um, at that point, that was one year ago, we saw a massive change in his uh, interactions with other people, in his growth, in his confidence. Um, that's one, one example. And how that transfers to housing is that they're able then to communicate, to articulate, to tell us what they want. They're able to have phone calls with MSD, whoever that is, to really tell them, actually, you know, this is what I need and this is what you can do for me. Mm, that's really exciting. What about, what's the youngest person that you've worked with? Our youngest person that we've worked with was 12 years old and she was in care. She'd been um, out of school for two years and they weren't able to get her back into there. But we designed a custom program for her where she was able to create clothing um, and she called her clothing Ekekiterangi. She used glow-in-the-dark font. She um, she produced a few units of jumpers and T-shirts and then she sold them to her whānau and friends and she was starting to make money. So from the age of 12 years old, she was becoming an entrepreneur. And um, she, part of that was that she had to give 10% to a charity. She chose Salvation Army to give her 10% profit to, toward uh, because they were an organisation who helped them while they were hungry and in times of need. Do you want to talk a bit about the cafe sure. um, and your housing journey and how that transformed to the business yeah. that it is today? Well, I always, because we were so transient growing up, I always knew one day I'm going to buy a house. Um, uh, and when I was 24, first person ever in my um, whānau to buy a house. And I always thought that was impossible because I'm Māori. Like, you know, Māori don't buy homes. That was just my personal whakaro. Um And it was quite easy, actually. All I had to do was to get a housing, a mortgage broker, and then he told me, okay, clear this debt, save this much money, use your KiwiSaver, and you'll be able to buy this house. And I did, and I paid it, you know, 100%. I was the owner of it, sole owner of it. Um, growing up, actually, we, my mum, she used to sign us up before we were 18 to different HPs. So I, we, all of my siblings actually have bad credit from the jump, and that wasn't even because of us. It was because our mum was pawning you know things so that she could get her hit uh, so we were we started on the back bench but I was able to buy that house and then when we had an opportunity to buy the cafe I thought oh my gosh I'm gonna sell the house so I sold my house and that's how I was able to put some money into Matthew Huru Huru I fully believed in this and I was going to do everything that I could to get this off the ground and then I bought the cafe which me and my sister now co-own um, we're not we're, we're breaking even at this point and it's a bit scary because I don't really know actually I don't even cook I can't cook which is quite interesting <laughs> yeah I don't <laughs> not yet, yet not yet. <laughs> don't get me to cook for you but I can manage um, a business and I can do the mean clean I can wash the I can wash dishes and um 
yeah, so a couple of years, we'll see how that goes. And I hope I made the right choice, but which I, I have full faith that I did. So just quickly, before we talk about the cafe, I want to talk a bit about where did you buy the house? Why did you buy it there of all places? And then what were some of the challenges? Like, did you even know how to buy a house? Because it's quite common, right, yeah. for us young people who don't know how to buy a house. Can you yeah. just talk a little bit about that and why you chose that location? Sure. Well, my dad died, and when he died, I said, let's just keep him in Auckland. But that was very selfish of me to think that. My my aunt, my dad said, if you take me home, it'll open the gates for you to come back. Because I told you we're urban, right? So raised in Tamaki, never been to my home before, ever. Uh, so he died, and I made the decision. <laughs> I made the decision for my family that, yeah, we'd honour that and go back to his ha- his home. We took him home to Kaikohe, and that really was the beginning. He's been passed away for 11 years now. That was the beginning of my journey to reconnect. And actually, so many good things have come out of that. Um, and that's why I chose to buy a house in Kaikohe. I was living there. I was working with Oranga Tamariki in Kaikohe and Whangarei. Um, and then, yeah, I bought the house through a scheme called Housing Foundation. Mm. Yeah. And it was the first, second actually project ever. So this is quite a while ago. And yeah, um, was it hard? I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. All I knew was that I wanted that house. This lady walked into Oranga Tamariki and she said, hey, I'm looking for someone to buy these houses. Who's interested? And I was like, oh, I got nak money, but yep, you can, I'll give it a go. <laughs> Um, and then I ended up, actually I had saved up $60,000 into my KiwiSaver, so a big chunk of the deposit was already saved Yeah, in KiwiSaver, so I'm a bit of an advocate for that. Wow, that's crazy. Because you've spoken about living in all these different places, you yeah. know, motels, a van, you bought your house. Where are you now? Um, now I'm living on the floor at my sister's house because, <laughs> because um, yeah, and that's what we do. We go back to Fano. My sister's going through a bit of a time at the moment. And so I left my apartment in Monaco and uh, and now I'm looking after her and her kids. That's not going to be for for long, but um, you do what you got to do because Fano first. And eventually, you know, when she gets stronger and I'm able to, you know, leave her, um, I'll be getting my own house again in Tamaki. So you have Matehuru, you have Mahi and Co. I do. How did Hipa Peringa come about? <laughs> Hipa Peringa was a miracle, it was a blessing, it was always meant to be. Um, our landlord here at Matehuru, he heard my story. He's Fijian, so he, he's a Pacifica. And um, when I told him my story, he was like, oh, you know, I get it because we had no power, we had no house. And uh, his story really just made mine feel like, oh, okay, you know, uh, I'll, I'll stop talking now. So he he comes from that place, you know, and um, but he's a millionaire now and he's um, was able to give us the opportunity. He said, hey, I love your story so much. I love your why. I love your purpose. I've got this housing complex. Do you want it? That's basically how it happened. And I was like, do I want it? Oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm going to get it. So so um, he's like, just think about what you want to do with it. I already knew what I wanted to mm. do with it. You know, our young people were thriving here when they were part of our whanau and our workforce mm. program. But at the end of the day, they had to go home and their homes were still toxic, as I was saying. Their homes weren't conducive of the learning and the teachings that we had here. So their parents were still on pee. Their parents were still drinking alcohol and they're allowed to do it while they're there. Mm. So what we thought was if we had housing for these young people, we truly would be able to smash out and stomp out the cycle that we're 
we continue to live in. So inter breaking intergenerational cycles and change. That's what I was thinking in my head because of, uh, with this housing project. So Hipa Pedinga is is a place of salvation for these young people. It's going to be a 52-week program for Māori between the ages of 17 and 21 who are experiencing housing insecurities or homelessness. And our goal is to put these young people in this housing and with the wraparound supports, youth workers, social workers, cultural workers, um, psychologists, whatever it is that they feel like they need so that they can begin their healing journey. For the first six months of the program, it will be focusing in on healing, be focusing in on culture, reconnecting with their identity, reconnecting with um, their wairua tanga, their whanau, and looking at the addictions and trauma that they have, helping them to better navigate their emotions and building emotional intelligence and um, role modeling to them what healthy relationships look mm. like. So that's the first six months. And then after that, the second six months will be based, will be transitioning them out into society again, transitioning them out into community with skills, with work readiness um, skills, because we already run those programs and helping them to gain independence so that they're not just reliant or codependent on Mazahuruhuri, but they can gain their own skills and then they can fly off. So I really love this kaupapa, uh, but I'm really keen to hear about the challenges, actually, because this is not the norm, right? right. It's not the norm. It's not, it, well, this program is targeted, but standard kind of approaches here in Aotearoa uh, blanket, essentially. They, they, yeah. they design a lot of things where, okay, it's one model, everybody get in the box, that's how it is. Yeah. What are the challenges that you've been going through in terms of thinking about this idea of transitional housing, becoming a provider? What yeah. are some of those challenges? Well, firstly, there was no pathway for me. So to become a Māori youth housing provider, there's no one person who can tell me how to do that. We had to go in blindfolded and we had to go in alone. And so it took 12 months for us to get to this point, which in the context of everything isn't actually a long time. It's quite short because we were relentless, but... Um, for the first six months, for example, we didn't speak to a human. We were speaking to automated emails and we were trying to get our MSD accreditation and nobody was messaging us back. Um, by, month, by month six, we were able to meet with Marama Davidson, who's the Associate Minister for Housing. She really was the, the catalyst for change for us. Um, and the reason why we met Marama was because we're part of a collective called Manaki Rangatahi, which is led by Bianca Johansson and named by, of course, <laughs> your beautiful self, Jackie. Um, and being a part of that collective whose goal is to end youth homelessness, they really helped us to break down all of this bureaucracy and mm. bureaucratic um, processes that disabled us from moving into, into the housing space. So... Um, Bureaucracy is our biggest challenge and we weren't able, it's been 12 months now on this journey to become a registered, accredited youth housing provider by Māori for Māori. Um, and so for the first six months of the journey, we didn't speak to a human. We spoke to a robot and a machine who told us um, nothing, basically. And it wasn't until month six that we first met with Marama Davidson, who's the Associate Minister for uh, housing 
She asked me, my header, what were your biggest barriers? And I told her that the ministries don't talk to each other. There's no cross, you know, inter-cross agency conversations that are happening. And that was one of our biggest barriers too. MSD were telling us we couldn't get a contract until we got, uh, we couldn't get accredited until we got a HUD contract. And HUD were telling us we couldn't get a contract until we got accredited. So both of these ministries weren't talking to each other and they were making it difficult for us. And I've have email evidence of them both negating each other. Okay, so we've got a lot of these systemic issues, challenges that not only you face as an organisation, um, and we think about the issues actually that these young people, and the urgency, uh, and I, I, I'm just recalling we spoke about that there's no pathway. If What would that pathway look like? What would make things easier? Because if you're the first, we need to think about the next providers and being able to grow the sector what would that look like or what do you think yeah. that should look like oh i've got two solutions for that the first one that i spoke to marama about was creating some kind of mapping so that we know for future housing providers how to which doors to knock on which doors are available what key you need to go into each of those doors and we don't have that right now so there's no pathway but if we were able to create a visual of what are the conversations you need to have and at what time what organizations do you need to have at your table and at what time we're not wasting any time and we can go smoothly into becoming accredited the second part or solution is around research we don't know enough about it which is why i'm so grateful for this you know, um, and your research pieces, because without data, we have no idea. Mm-hmm. We can't even, it's such a hidden issue, youth homelessness. Um, it's clumped into just one thing, which is homelessness, but it's absolutely not. We've got young people who are under the age of 18 who can't even get a tenancy agreement because they're underage. And, but what's going to happen with them, right? Nothing. There's nothing happening with them. Or they're, ca- they're couch hopping or they're staying here at Mati Huruhuru. So if we can have research, if we can have data and if we can have information, we've got more tools to fight our, our co with. Mm-hmm. They've got more stories. Um, to back us up, more evidence to back us up so that the government can resource us, resource these projects fairly and not just give us crumbs either. Kaupapa Māori housing is such a brand new thing. As I said, we're the first ever in the history of Aotearoa to roll this out. We know this because we've asked HUD, have you dealt with any Kaupapa Māori housing before? No, we haven't. Okay, well then Mātu Huru Huru are the first. That means that when we have coat uh, conversations with them about fair funding it's a it's a barrier for us mm-hmm. because they can't see the value add in having um, the aesthetics of a marae mm-hmm. they can't see the value they've told me that my head there's no value add here so we're going to decline this part excuse you you know and so these are when we call on marama davidson mm-hmm. to come and help us to fight to mm-hmm. prove to them actually there is a value add here because it is all about the wairua and we want to have a wahoro at the entrance of our gate so that as soon as you step under that wahoro, you move into the realm of te ao Māori. Mm. And we can't get funding for that, you know. Mm. Um, so just just having a Māori caseworker, I think, is also quite helpful for us because then we don't have to repeat the story. We shouldn't mm. have to be doing that. Um, it, in terms of tetiriti, it should be a partnership. You should be coming to us to work with Māori as an equal. You don't, but at the mm. moment they're coming to us as the, mm. you know, um, 
the dictator, they're coming to us as the suppressor and they're saying, you can't do this, Māori girl. Mm. Well, you know, I'm going to die trying. And, mm. and if you think this is going to be an easy conversation right now, it's not going to be. And that's, that's based on my why. That's based on, mm. you know, um, the story of, of my hard, hardships. I know mm. what that's like and I don't want anyone to have to go mm. through that. You've got through that process. When, when is Hepa Veringa sets open? Uh, we're, we're set to launch on October. Oh, that's really exciting. And so how many will you be able to home? We've got 10 units and each unit uh, has two bedrooms. So one of the units will be used as a staff hub and then we've got the remaining nine that are open. We've got 18 beds available to house young Māori. Oh, that's really exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to finally visiting after hearing about it for so long. So we've spoken about Mata Huruhuru and the young people that you work with being able to go through Hipa Peringa. Where will they go to next after that place? Where do you envision? We envision them to transition into independence. Mm -hmm. We don't want them hopping between us and another agency. We want to be well resourced so that we can put everything into these young people as possible so that they don't have to keep moving across the agencies. We want them to transition into whānau, hapu or iwi or with themselves. Uh, we will continue to provide pastoral care, wraparound services for them when they've moved out. But ideally what we don't want is just to see a continued cycle. Mm. We want to really focus in on that healing, on the emotional intelligence, on the work readiness. We want to equip them with all of the skills that they um, that they need so that they can be the master of their own craft, they can have autonomy over their own lives, but also that they have charity in their hearts and that they can continue to give back to their marae, to their hapu, to their whānau. Uh, they can continue to think about other people as well because we are a Māori people. We are, mm. we are a collective group. We don't work in isolation. We, we're not individualists, um, you know, and we don't think individually. So we want to, them to continue to feel like that and that remember that home is where your heart is and and your home can be anywhere that you choose it to be um, as long as you you can carry that 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 on so many things on your to-do list for the next several years <laughs> yeah i really love you speaking about where you've been where you are um the different threads that have you know come to fruition as a result of not only you and your dream and your vision mm -hmm. but Mate Huruhuru as a collective What's the change that you want to see for a young person? I want to see mana motihake for all of our young people. I want them to live in the New Zealand and the Aotearoa that belongs to them. I want them to see their language being normalised. I want them to believe in their culture. I want them to, to know that they are very special and that they're a chosen people. I want them to be happy and to be thriving. I want them to have healthy and positive ways of thinking. I want them to express love and kindness. And I want them to, I want them to just really enjoy their lives. I want them to find a purpose and to live in that purpose and to do well and to make sure that the breaths that they take while they're alive on this earth, that they're doing something positive that they can give back to their whānau and to be absolutely proud of. I really, I always say this to you all the time, but I always feel aroha when I am not only in your presence, but when I hear your corridor. I'm always inspired by you and your determination and your drive and the support around you as well. And I hope that 
together, <laughs> you know, yeah. we can change and transform the lives of many. So just really want to say thank you so much for joining us on Hipari Mōwai today um, and really excited to head out and check out Pepa Peringa. Kia ora. Kia ora. We hope you enjoyed that episode. Just a disclaimer from us, we are no housing experts. However, we are passionate about supporting rangatahi to secure safe, adequate and healthy homes.